I'm your host, Webby. Joining me today, we have nobody. I am by myself. That's right. Uh, I'm doing this kind of early in the morning. I'm having a bit of a rough day, so I'm trying to get this out of the way so it's one less thing I have to worry about. Um, but today, so I'm, we're going to be talking some D&D. So if you're not into D&D... Maybe this episode's not going to be for you, but I'm part of several D&D groups on Facebook, uh, and I have people who can message me if they ever have questions. Um, a lot of the times there are rule clarifications that, you know, if I don't know it off the top of my head, I'll go and look it up or whatever. Um, other times it's just opinions or tips or advice, things like that. Uh, today, I have a small list. These are, these are things that, you know, are generally kind of known, but a lot of the, a lot of the questions and a lot of the advice that gets asked amongst the communities are if people have advice or tips for beginners, especially DMs. Um, so being a DM, not an easy task. And the thing is, is once you're a DM, hopefully you don't fall into the category of the quote-unquote forever DM, but a lot of the times you'll end up just being the straight-up DM for probably multiple games, at least until somebody else feels confident enough or, uh, you know, safe enough to to take up and try their hand at it, in which case, hopefully, you then get to become a player. Well, I have a list. It's the top, what's this, four, six, eight, top ten DM tips for D&D beginners. Okay, these some of these are going to sound pretty straightforward. And it's because they are. But, again, some of these things are things that DMs do struggle with. And I know early on, when I started DMing, I tried to do some of these things. You know, I, there are certain things that I did that I was just like, you know what... I just can't do this. Um, so, uh, also, uh, before we get into it, there are also two different types of, like, DMs. Well, I mean, there's several, obvi obviously several different types of DMs, but... So, 
for those of you who play D&D, or even other tabletop role-playing games, a lot of these companies, like I started off playing Vampire the Masquerade, then I went into D&D. Actually, I started off playing D&D back in 2nd edition, then I went to Vampire the Masquerade, then back to D&D. Now I kind of do both. But both games, they have things called modules. So they're pre-written adventures that, you know, they'll have a book, and the DM goes through, and they run the module for you. I can't do those. I really wish I could, because a lot of these modules seem really cool. And the thing is, is, like, I feel like I have to go through prior to a session and memorize what all the things are that the party could do during that session. Uh, otherwise, it's just going to bog down the session. It's not going to seem, you know, it's it's it's, it's not going to be seamless. It's it's not going to have easy transitions from you know place to place. You know, they could decide to go to you know X, Y, and Z, and then I'd have to flip through the module to find okay, well, this is the town where you're going. And these are the things that are available, and I just I can't do that. And I've 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 played with people who do run modules, and they do great. Um, I'm more of the DM that here's a sandbox, here's a castle, go wild. You tell me what you want to do, and we'll just go there. Okay. Um, I do have friends that, you know, like Rob, Science Corner, we're going to be missing that today. Uh, he runs D&D too. He, he DMs a few games, and, uh, you know, he, he doesn't do modules, but his. He, he, he over-prepares. He's the type of person where he, he likes to prepare a session. He likes to have things, you know, nice and organized before the session happens. And, uh, you know, and then he goes into it. Me, I'm like, okay, where do you guys want to go? Oh, you're going to go to this city? All right, cool. Where do you want to go in the city? All right, there you meet this guy. His name's Bob. All right, and then this is the conversation that we have. And, you know, I just on the spot on the fly seat of my pants let's go <clears throat> um anyway that's neither here nor there. i got on a little tangent already it's only six minutes into this recording and i'm already on a tangent all right top 10 dm tips for DD beginners number one you don't have to know all the rules okay that's what the books are for if you're afraid as the dm that not knowing the rules is going to cause problems or slow down your game drastically to the point where you are uncomfortable with it uh, or you think your players are going to be upset by it, here's an easy tip. Invite somebody to your game that has played the game before and already knows some of the rules. They will help you keep track of that. Um, also, things that I like doing... Luckily, we play on, you know, uh, Roll20, so there's already, like, an initial tracker that kind of keeps track of all that, but in all honesty, you know, I have people where if if something comes up and I don't know the rule off the top of my head, but I don't want to slow down combat, I'll point to, like, Rob. Rob. Rob plays in lots of my games, and I'll say, hey, can you go look this up while I continue, and then we'll come back to this, you know. We'll resolve this, you know, once you find your issue. Or, 
if it's something that I feel like I need to resolve or, or I need to look up as well, uh, sometimes what I'll do is I'll say, okay, for, for now, I'll let it work, you know, this way, or, you know, this spell will affect this, uh, after the session, I'll look it up and just know that moving forward, it might not work that way if I find that it doesn't, it's not supposed to, you know, but, you know, a lot of the times I'll just, I'll let it work the way that the player intended it for, intended for it to, just so it doesn't bog down combat. But, I mean, if you think you're going to be a DM and you're going to have the entire rule book memorized, good luck, bud. You know, uh, you're talking hundreds of rules. You know, you'd have to end up memorizing all the spells. You have to memorize this, that, and the other thing. Plus, a lot of the times, and we'll get into this later on, some rules... I mean, we use homebrew rules for some things. So, I mean, that's inserting a whole new dimension of rule sets into things. You know, there are certain rules that, you know, it, the whole thing is, is it's not, nothing is set in stone in this game. You know, as the DM going through, if you don't like the way a system works, or if you don't like a certain thing, you can alter it. Okay. Now I'm not saying go through and be like, oh, well, you know, this spell no longer does this. Now it does this because it makes more sense to me that way. Uh, you know, n not so much that. But like there are rules like, OK, when rolling initiative, you know, you roll a d20 and you add your dex modifier. Uh, unless you have other initiative bonuses from other things as well. Then you add that. Essentially, you're adding, you know, whatever your initiative modifier is, which is calculated through X, X, Y, and Z. You're rolling a d20 and adding your initial modifier. Now, normally, if there's a tie between players or the DM and a player or whatever, there are several different ways you can go about this. Uh, normally, with me, if it's between, say, a monster and a player... I'll just let the player go first, okay? And I'll get to why in a minute. If it's between players, generally what I'll do is I'll, I'll say, okay, who, who has the higher dex modifier between you two? Because initiative rolls off of dexterity, so the higher the dex mod, the slightly faster you would be. Uh, if their dex modifiers are the exact same, I will say, okay, you guys can either... Decide amongst yourselves who goes first and who goes second, or re-roll, you know, just between you two, just to see who goes first and second, you know, because sometimes it might be like, you know, if, if player A has, you know, more beneficial things to do if they go first, or player B can benefit from what player A can do, and they tie, maybe they'll be like, hey, you know, Player A, you go first, because after you go, that's going to set me up for some stuff that I can do. Um, and the reason why I don't try to do roll-offs with monsters and stuff is because, ultimately, it's... You're the storyteller, but the players are the heroes of your game. Okay? The, it's, it's their story, too. So, I try to make the players feel 
like the heroes. So if they get to go before the monster, they'll be able to do a little bit more damage and, you know, potentially take out some of the monsters uh, before they even get a turn, which always feels good as a player. So there's things like that. And then there's things like technically the flanking system, then, you know, that's not, that's not a hard rule. Um, I don't even know if it's an optional rule, but it's a rule that we use. So the way we do flanking is if you have a, if, if you are, you and another party member are on opposite sides of a monster, then that monster is flanked. And what that does is it gives you advantage on attack rolls as long as you're flanking. Uh, we do this so that way it's, it's more fun in combat when players can put themselves and be a little bit more strategic with how they position themselves in combat to try to gain these bonuses. Um, again, I I don't think it might be an optional rule. It's definitely not a standard rule. So, but it is one that we use. Um, I'm trying to think of a homebrew rule. I know there's a couple that we use, but I can't think of them off the top of my head now that I'm on the spot recording. Um, hmm. Oh, yeah, one of the homebrew rules that I use. So, normally as a spellcaster, you can cast a spell, and then you can cast another spell as as long as it's only a cantrip. So a lot of the times you'll, you'll see things like somebody will cast, like, Mass Healing Word, right? Uh, which is a bonus action. And then the only other spell they're supposed to be able to cast would be a cantrip. Uh, or vice versa. But I don't think there's many bonus action cantrips. Um, I've I've kind of just thrown that rule out the window. I You know, in, in, in my table, and a lot of people might disagree with this, but in my table, it's like, listen, if you want to throw a fireball out there and then turn around and healing word your friend, you know, if, if you fucking somehow have healing word and a fireball, do it. Do it up. I don't care. You, know, you cast a 7th level action spell and a 4th level bonus action spell. I don't care. Now, some people might say, oh, well, that unbalances the game or that's, you know, that gives too much power to the players. That's not true. Okay? If you're the DM, you know, what I do, anything that the players are allowed to do, the NPCs can do too. The enemies can do. So if you end up having a spellcaster that's an enemy, and they have, you know, a spell list, guess what? They can cast Fireball too, and then turn around and bonus action something else. You know, Misty Step, whatever the fuck. You know? And, uh... I don't know. I, I just, I think it's so much easier to just... Instead of say, okay, well, you can do this, but then you're restricted to these. It's just, okay, you have an action, a bonus action, and a move action during your turn. Uh, and then a reaction anywhere else. Boom. Turn's done. Action, bonus action, then you move. Boom. Turn's done. Okay? I don't give a fuck what you did. You have your action, your bonus action. Anyway, that's just me. That's a homebrew rule that we use. It seems to work out great. Uh, the I haven't had any issues where things just die super fast because of strictly that. Um, and like I said... 
the party, they get into as much danger as they put things into with running into enemies who also do that. So, whatever. Anyway, we're going to move on to rule number two, or tip number two. Keep a bird's eye view of the game and don't plan too much. Okay, so you do run into people who, you know, they've asked me, hey, you know, I, I'm going to be DMing my first session this, this weekend, you know, and it's Monday when they tell me. And uh, they're like, oh, you know, you know, I've, I've put all this lore and, you know, this is my, you know, my continent and I've had these four cities made and these are, you know, I have 40 NPCs minimum per city. It's like, okay, bud, you've put in too much work. Okay. Now that's great. If you want to have all this down and you are a very neat person and organized, I am not. I have a lot of my notes are on sticky notes. I do have a notebook, one for each game that I run. Uh, and then I usually jam the sticky notes in there and eventually I write them down on the notebook. Uh, I cannot organize things on my computer. Uh, I'm not good with like Google documents and things like that. Uh, I'm very old school, handwritten stuff. Um, but I also just don't feel that organized. So the, the, the reason why people say don't plan too far ahead, 90% of the time... You're going to start feeling bad if you plan for something to happen. You have this big epic moment that's ready to happen in in city A, right? And you know, you got to you just have to wait for your players to get there and then they detour off to city C instead. They choose, "Hey, we're going to go here first." And maybe you have a few things, you know, pre-planned. Uh, I have the hiccups now. Uh, maybe you have a few things pre-planned for when they do get to that city. But then they didn't get to your big epic thing that you had planned for City A. Which then makes you feel bad. And if you feel bad, sometimes your players end up feeling bad. Especially if they find out that you had all this stuff planned and it didn't happen. And you know, and other people, they'll be like, oh, well, I'll just save it for next time. Well, I mean, you can. But that doesn't mean that you didn't put in all that work. And it didn't have the payoff that you wanted or expected at the time. Me. So. I love movies. Okay. I'm a, I'm a big movie person. TV. Uh, you know, I loved Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, all those movies. So when I think about my world. I think about it in the sense of a movie. Okay. So, like, if you think about Lord of the Rings, so when, let's see, when when Gandalf is traveling, you know, well, when the whole, uh, you know, group is traveling, and then Gandalf splits off, or, or, you know, Frodo and Sam split off to head towards Mordor, and they just leave without telling people or whatever... The thing is, is things are happening. So even though the folk, the movie is focused on, say, Aragorn and the rest of the group, Sam and Frodo are still traveling. They're still going. Orcs are still invading. Hurakai, whatever. You know, the world keeps spinning, is what I always say. So what I do is I 
have a generalized idea of my overall overarching story. So then if the players say, hey, we're going to go to this city, cool, do it up. You know, this city has you know, all of your, you know, whatever, has t- taverns X, Y, and Z, has these shops and this, that, and the other thing. And, oh, well, we want to go to the, the alchemy shop. All right, cool. The You walk in and you see two gnomes, you know, and then you make up their names and this, that, and the other thing, unless they're already pre-made, which isn't bad, but you don't have to have their entire life story written out either. Um because I mean I have I'm guilty of this I have had a couple NPCs or a couple you know whatever where I've given them some pretty in-depth backstories and the party just never bothers to ask and it's like okay I mean hey it's fine you don't have to know the NPCs but they are there uh, but you, so I just give them like quirks mannerisms and you know I try to make them notable in some degree um, but like the big thing with me and like the whole world keeps spinning thing to get back to that. So the party, I fill up their quest log, right? So they have, you know, eight things that they got to try to do. Well, while they're trying to decide to do it, if they go and they say, okay, well, we're going to go work on the third quest that we have in our log. All right. While you're doing that, the other quests are still happening. You know, whatever, you know, if, there was one time with the uh, distractions D and D game where you know they were traveling on one of the continents and they were chasing down an enemy, and I tried to leave little hints saying, "Hey, you know, an NPC runs up to you and says that there's you know a dozen orcs landing on the shore, you know, a few hours to the east," and they're like, "Oh no, we're gonna forget those. You guys handle those. We're we're off. We have other things to do." Yeah, all right. Then they traveled, and, you know, four sessions later, they see more orcs. They're a slightly larger group now. And they chose to ignore them again. So a couple sessions later, they find out that those orcs burnt down a forest and raised the city to the ground, and now there's an orc army because they've just been steamrolling. Nobody has been there to stop them. They have just been sidelined every time they got brought up uh not saying that the other quests that they were doing weren't important but this is something where it's like okay well you ignored this threat this threat gained steam and now they're a bulldozer you know and then you ignored the bulldozer now they're a tank so Good luck. Ultimately, that whole thread ended with the capital city that some of the group was from uh, ended up going to war against the war, you know, these tribes of orcs, uh, and they were just simply overrun. Um, and now in that world, the orcs run that city. They own that city. Uh, so, like, I don't forget things. Uh, if the players choose to push off a problem for too long, that problem's going to either get worse, or if they decide, hey, we're finally going to go deal with this, you know, this quest of, you know, saving this kitten from up in a tree, you know, that we didn't do when we were level one. All right, well, you know, the reward was 50 gold, whatever the fuck, but you get there and the cat's already saved. Another group already came by and did it. You know, you missed out. 
all right, you get to cross that out of your quest log. That's one less thing that you have to do, but it's also one one less thing that you earned XP for and you don't get the reward for now either. Um, and maybe another adventuring group starts becoming famous uh, more so than these people. And then jobs start getting pushed the other way, you know, where now the adventuring party is not, you know, maybe they're hard for work. They're finding things that, you know, trying, trying to find work and they can't. Uh, all sorts of things. But, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know where the fuck I went with that. We're talking about not planning ahead. Uh, anyway, fly by the seat of your pants. It's so much more fun. Uh, number three, things aren't written in stone. That's true. I had an NPC, pretty important NPC. Uh, it was a vampire. It was an enemy. Uh, they ended up fighting them. The whole thing is the the NPC was supposed to fight them uh, and then turn into a mist and fly away. Uh, but through unique ingenuity and usage of spells, they prevented that from happening and they killed this NPC. Uh, I did not stop it. I did not decide to railroad uh, the situation. Um, I didn't use my DM powers to just say, nope, sorry, it didn't work, they got away. Fuck it. I don't care how important that NPC was. You know, the party did what they had to do. They successfully stopped them and killed them. Um, I've had good NPCs uh, be asked to help out in a battle. And through roles, end up dying. Uh, things happen, you know. I've also had things, you know, not even talking about NPC deaths. Uh, I've had times where they've run up to an NPC... I've given them a name. Uh, I forgot to write it down. Luckily, I have great note takers in my game. Uh, or games, I should say. And later on, they end up asking about, you know, the NPC. And I give them a different name. You know, and they're sometimes they catch on. Or sometimes you're like, well, according to my notes, their name was, you know, Bob the Goblin. Boblin. And I'm like, okay, well, Boblin then. You know, otherwise his name's Steve. You know, whatever the fuck. Um, sometimes if they don't take it down, if they didn't take the note down or if they don't remember, hey, change the name. Who the fuck cares? You know? Um, you're the DM. You can retcon stuff. All right. <clears throat> um, number four is a big one. Uh, I also don't really like the wording on it, per se, but it says the players can create the world with you. The reason why I say I don't like the wording on this, I don't think it should be the players can create the world with you. I think it's the players do create the world with you, and they should. Uh, if you think about it, so you've created this world, okay? Think about a continent, you know, just a world map. Scattered with a bunch of cities. Well, if you invite players to the table and they're like, hey, I want to be from a little village between this city and this city on the coast of this lake right here. Well, if you didn't have a village there, if the players really want to, fuck it, put a village there. Let them create some NPCs to put there. 
you know, because even if they don't, if even if you say no, no village, stick with somewhere on the map. Okay, well, you're going to be part of this city. Well, here's my family. Well, guess what? Now those are NPCs in that city, you know. So the the players, regardless, are going to be part of this world now. Their backstories part of this world. If they want to be from somewhere specific and you don't have a place on your map, let them make that place. Okay. First, what's it doing? It's, it's adding one more spot to your map. Whoop-de-doo. But you know what it's doing also? It's giving your players a vested, uh, an even more vested emotional interest in your game. Now they're more emotionally attached to their character because they got to create somewhere on your map that wasn't there before. They got to help create some NPCs for your world. You know, that you can splatter in there or use as a, a plot hook later on. Um, it gives them motivation to enjoy that character more. Um, I'm all about wanting to please my players. I personally, I feel like rule number one for DM tips, which isn't on this list, is... Your first job as a DM is to make sure your players, the players on your table and the players in your game are having fun. Okay? It's not solely about your fun. At all. Okay? If your players aren't having fun, they're not going to want to play anymore. And guess what? If they don't play anymore, you don't have players. And if you don't have players, you have no one to DM. So the whole game just kind of falls apart at that point. You know, not to mention, I DM for my friends, and I like to think that my friends are happy. You know, I don't like my friends when they're upset. I don't like my friends when they're miserable. You know, that's why a lot of the a lot of the games that I run are high fantasy, lots of magic items, like out there kind of shit. You know, they're pretty abundant everywhere because it, you know I I hear about these DMs who play these gritty. Gritty D&D games that have, like, barely any magic at all, and, you know, it's it's very hard, and, you know, if you get into combat, combat's super deadly, and, you know, you could lose your character super easy. It's like, okay, this just seems like, you know, normal real life. If I picked up a sword and I went out there and attacked people, I'd probably die too, you know, but I don't want to play in, in real life, you know, I don't want to... I don't want to escape my reality to go into another place that's just like reality. No, I want to I want to escape to a world that's full of dragons, full of magic, full of you know, all this fun and adventure. You know, I want I want to feel like a hero and I'd want my players to feel like heroes. Um so let your players help create your world. Because again, it's going to take some of the ease off of you. You'll have to make less, and it's going to give them vested interest in playing your game. Um, the next one, the players are not your enemies. This happens a lot. I know that you as the DM, you're supposed to be playing you know, creatures that are attacking the players, and this, that, and the other thing. Or your big bad evil guy wants your players dead, or you know, whatever the... They want to corrupt your player, whatever whatever your overall story is. When it comes to that, yeah, play the monsters the way they would be. You know, there have been times where, you know, I, I play a bunch of kobolds. They'll just attack randomly. 
You know, they'll just, they'll, hey, okay, you're the closest. They're just going to attack you. Oh, they missed? Cool. All right. He feels bad. That's all. You know, and then there are other times where I have played extremely highly intelligent creatures who have a grudge or can pick out, say, the healer in the group and will target them first, knowing that without a healer, it's going to be much easier to make the rest of the group fall. Um, in fact, I've, I've killed off Devin's character that way. Um, and I feel, I'm the type of DM, I feel bad every time I kill a player. I really do. I feel worse than the player does half the time. Uh, it is, it is something that I have to, after the session, when it happens, I just kind of have to step away and, and process myself. Um, not a lot of DMs can do that. Like, they don't choose to do that. They're just like, ah, I killed the player, oh well. Um, but you got to understand that you're not out to try to destroy these players. You know, don't try to screw them over at every turn. If you have goblins, don't sit there and just try to take, you know, single out one specific person. Uh, and then when they're knocked down, continue attacking them until they're dead and then move on. Goblins, you know, my general rule of thumb, low intelligence monsters, knock, you knock down a player, hey, no longer a threat, move on to the next closest threat. You know, uh, attack it until that one's no longer a threat, move on. Uh, your highly intelligent monsters, yeah, maybe they'll knock you unconscious and then maybe they'll continue attacking you because they know, hey, healing magic is a thing and it's only going to take a single word from the right person to get you back on your feet. Um, but ultimately, you have to remember it's your player's adventure. Again, like I said before, they're the heroes in this story. And though you are a storyteller, it is a conjoined story. It's it's your story that you're trying to tell, but it's also the player's character stories that are growing and evolving throughout the campaign. You know? Um, so yeah, they're not your enemies. You, you know? Next, you don't always have to tell a complex story. This is true. Uh... Everybody thinks that, oh, the more complex, the more interesting and intertwined my story is, the more the more interesting it's going to be, blah, 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 blah. That's not true. It can be just as interesting if it's very direct, very simple. It's just a matter of how you do it. Uh, you know, we had a thing not, not so, you know, it pretty recently happened where in my game uh, there was two thieves guilds in a city. Uh, and the, one of the players is part of one of the thieves guilds, uh, and the rival thieves guild, uh, just blew up the other thieves guild, just sent a bomb. It blew up outside. It caved in the front of the thieves guild. Uh, the player got somewhat injured. Uh, the next part of that, you know, uh, little story arc, they just decided to go and attack that thieves guild at their headquarters and just wipe them off the face of the map. Pretty direct. Not very complex, but they had a lot of fun doing it. Uh, and it was very challenging because it was a lot of people. Uh, but you know, when the, when the two wizards in the group kick in the front door 
and they both get, you know, first and second on the initiative order, and one of them pulls everybody together and does a bunch of damage, and then the other one fireballs in the center or a cone of colds in the center of the room and wipes out more than half the room. They felt so happy. And you know what? I felt happy for them. And they had a lot of fun doing that, and it was just something that was very simple that happened. Do I have more complex stories involved in the world? Yeah. But like I said earlier, my world continues to spin. There are things where people in one game on one continent are doing something that might affect the people in my main game on the mainland continent doing something else. Um, it might take a little, it might take a little bit to get there, or you know, whatever. But things are always interacting and happening. But you don't have to have it. You know, it's not a matter of how complex the story it is. It's, it's a matter of how you tell the story. Um, you know, if, if you can make things interesting without making them complicated. Let's put it that way. Um, the next one kind of ties back in with the first one that I talked about. The rules are only a guide. That's all they are. Um... You know, if if you want to do rules as written, that's fine. If you want to be the DM that does the rule of cool, do it. You know, if you want to just kind of throw the rule book out the window and be like, hey, we're not following this, here's a whole new set of rules, as long as your players are fine with it and they want to play in that world, cool, do it up. It's literally your game. You're the DM, you decide what to do. Anytime I make a decision on my world, or if I say, hey, you know, if I determine... I'm not going to utilize something or I'm going to institutionalize something. If I'm going to if I'm going to insert a rule into the game, I always give my players a heads up. I always tell my players, "Hey, I'd like to try to do this or hey, we're going to do this or hey, I'm taking this out because this that, and the other thing." Um one of the rules I ended up taking out, and again, other DMs might sit there and say, "Well, I think that's going to be a balance issue, blah blah blah." But you know what? I watched a video on it and it made a lot of sense to me, so I'm we're going to try it, is attunement. Normally, uh, magic items that require attunement, you're allowed to attune up to three magic items that require attunement at a time. If you get another one and you want to attune to that, then you have to unattune to another one and whatever. I removed that from my game. Uh, I no longer have a restriction on how many items you can attune to, but I did tell my players that if you decide to attune to too many magic items at once, and I didn't tell them how many was too many, I gave them a rough guideline, then quirky bad shit might start to happen. You know, that much magic in such a centralized location, close proximity to each other, might start reacting to one another. Uh... There are certain things that I know that alters in other games or classes, but ultimately the, the thing that I heard and the thing that I watched, I'm the DM. If I want my players to have a magic item and it requires attunement, I don't care if they're attuned to three things. If I want them to have it, I want them to have it, so they should be able to have it. And that made sense to me. Now, you could say, well, you could just remove the attunement to it, but the, hey, okay, then what's the difference of removing the attunement 
you know, restriction versus just making an item not attunable anymore. You know, I still want them to have to spend an hour to attune to it, you know, in case for some reason they do unattune to it, say to give it to somebody else. That way they still, they still have to spend an hour before, you know, and then if something happens, they might not be able to use it. There are certain road bumps, you know, speed bumps that we've run into where what well, we've foreseen anyway that we haven't exactly run into yet. And that's with like things like artificers. Artificers, like some of the class features for them is they get to attune to more items, like up to six items or some shit like that. Well, one thing we did for them, like I, I want to say it's like their 10th level ability is they get to attune to more magic items, something like that. One thing that we did for them is, okay, well, the attunement process, which normally takes a short rest, which is an hour, we say, okay, well, artificers can now attune to things that require attunement instantly. So you no longer, artificers specifically, no longer have to take an hour. Um, now, we haven't run into an issue where that's that's become a problem or a player has felt underpowered or under overshadowed by other players who can attune to more than three magic items yet. But hey, it, it might happen. And if it does, I we will cross that bridge when we get to it. Um, I always like to try to work with my players about what they want and things like that. Be open to talk to your players. That, that should be on here too, as a rule. Uh, hey, the next one. Give the players what they want as much as you can. We've kind of already talked about this a bunch. Uh, honestly, I give my players a lot of stuff. Uh, if they sit there and say, hey, I want the robes of the Arch Magi and the you know, staff of the Arch Magi or whatever the fuck, you know, those are two of the most powerful artifact items in the game for casters. It's like, yeah, okay, cool. Now, now I know you want those. Uh, you will at some point learn and figure out where those are and, and acquire those. Uh, one thing that I do tell my casters in my game, like wizards specifically and stuff, the wish spell. The wish spell is not accessible just by leveling up in my world. It is an extremely powerful spell. Uh, and wizards, you know, when they level up, they get to just add two spells to their spell book. Well, you can't just add the wish to your spellbook. You don't just automatically get to learn wish. It is out there. The knowledge of it is out there. If you find somebody who does know it, they can let you put it in your book or they can teach it to you. That I will allow if if you seek that route. Otherwise, guess what? You can find out where you can find a scroll and you can go on a quest for it. That scroll might be somewhere dangerous, it might be locked away in a vault, it might be locked away in a big dungeon somewhere, but that's the whole name of the game is Dungeons and Dragons. So, And I do tell my players a lot of the times, you want some really good loot? Go dungeon diving. A lot of the good stuff's locked away tight. It's not just somewhere that you're going to find in a random fucking encounter. Uh, you're not going to just be able to buy these things in a general store. Um, things like that. But, you know, I do have people come to me and say, hey, I want to play this this homebrew class. It's like, yeah, okay, let me look it over. As long as I don't think it's overpowered, we can try it out. 
you know, Rob plays this thing called a reflectionist. And I told him, I was like, listen, this power is super OP. You know, this particular power. He's like, okay, I won't use that one. I'll, I'll go this other this other route for it. It's like, yeah, okay. And then I've told him since day one, I was like, listen, if this starts to become problematic, we'll just sit down and talk and we'll come to an understanding of reeling it back a little bit, but keeping it a little bit balanced. And he was open to that. And one of the last times they leveled up, they're level 16 now in their main game. One of the last times they leveled up, he got this power where it's like, has a bonus action or some shit. He can cast his reflection and give... 80 temporary hit points to, like, five different fucking people. That was broken to me. It was fucking just outright bonkers. So, I sat down, we talked. I I told him how I would adjust it. And then I pitched to him why I would adjust it the way I would. And the more he thought about it, the more he understood my point of view as a DM. And he agreed. So then we adjusted it accordingly. And he's still happy playing as Reflectionist. That's all I ever ask of my players is just know that, hey, if you're going to play a homebrew class, if if later on I feel like this is becoming a problem or like the scaling is an issue, we need to reel it back a bit. Um, so far, I've not had any complaints. Uh, the next one, we have two more left to get through. You don't need to be a voice actor to p- portray compelling characters. Listen... I don't do voices. A lot of times you're going to get DMs saying, well, I don't do voices. I'm not going to be a good DM. You don't have to be a good DM. You know, you don't have to be a voice actor to be a good DM. You know? Uh, I have people in my parties who say that I love my NPCs. And I have other people in my parties who say that they can actually tell the difference between my NPCs just because of the way I talk. I don't do voices for them. I do a singular voice for one of my NPCs. You know, I, one of my NPCs has a unique voice, but other than that, all my other NPCs have the same, just my voice, but I might just talk softer with one, or I might talk a little bit more gruff with another, uh, but like, they don't have accents, nothing like that, so don't worry about that, okay, just don't even stress about that, worry about giving your characters and your NPCs unique qualities, give them personality, Okay, the personality is going to shine through more than a voice will. Because you know what, when you're two years into your campaign and you're 80 sessions deep or whatever the fuck, the Scottish dwarf is going to sound the same that he did day one. But if he doesn't have personality, he's not going to be as memorable anyway. You know, somebody with personality is going to be more memorable than somebody with a unique voice. Um, but I mean, if you're really, if you really dead set on doing some sort of unique voice for a character, like I said, just talk softer, talk a little bit more gruff, uh, squish your mouth to one side and start talking like that. You know, there are times where I'll like I'll drive into town to go run an errand and I'll just sit there and talk to myself in the car trying to talk different ways to see if I can get different sounds coming out while I talk. I'm crazy, though. So, uh, yeah. Uh, Lastly, safety and having a good time is more important than anything else at the table. I agree. Well, your players having fun should be priority, but 
anytime I DM a game, especially for people who are new or at least new to my DMing, I always run through and I will ask them as a group if there's anything topic-wise or whatnot that they are uncomfortable talking about or uncomfortable listening to uh, regarding my games. Because, like I said, I've played D&D and I play Vampire the Masquerade. Those are two very different games. One's high fantasy. Not saying that vampires aren't fantasy, so shut up. One's high fantasy and one's dark fantasy. Um, Vampire the Masquerade gets real dark real quick. And that's just that's just how that game goes. Okay, you're playing vampires. Okay, uh, it's not going to be a lot of, like, Angel, Buffy, and, you know, whatever the fuck. It's, you know, there's some twisted shit in that game. But, you know, if you're playing D&D and, you know, you want to bring up to your party, listen, is there any subject matter that you you would rather not have in here? Like, um, I know some of the stuff in my world, you do deal with some racism. You know, like in my world, the you know... Elves hate orcs. A lot of people hate orcs, mainly because of what the orcs are doing now. But, you know, it's that typical orcs hate elves. Elves hate orcs. Dwarves and elves might not get along great. Humans tend to kind of just stay middle ground and get along with a little bit of everybody. You know, so there is some racism involved. Um, There is slavery in my games. It's not abundant, but, you know, there is slavery. Um, But, like, things... And I mean, I even cringe thinking about it, but things like rape or, you know, sexual content, just things like that matter, you know, you know, things like that, that is, that is a stepping point. That is something that a lot of people are uncomfortable with. And, you know, I don't put it in your game. It's there. It's especially stuff like that. It's not a necessity. I mean, racism is not a necessity in in the, in the game of D and D, but you know, if you have a faction of, you know, like orcs hating elves and elves hating orcs and they're always con- constantly warring or treating each other poorly, yes, that's racism, but it's it's on a scale that is... It, it, I don't want to say that it brings depth to the game because that's going to make it sound bad too, but it, it kind of does. So, like, we had one player in the Distractions game, who played a half-elf. And because of his backstory, he hated orcs. Well, he ended up running into a bandit camp, and the leader of the bandit camp was an orc. Maybe a half-orc. I think she was a... She might have been a half-orc. I don't remember now. Anyway, her name was Tusk. And he hated her at the beginning. And... She became an ally to the group. She ended up joining the party. And through her actions, he ended up forming a relationship with this orc. And they ended up, you know, together. You know, this one orc changed that half-elf's view of orcs as a whole. You know, did he still hate some orcs? Yeah. I mean, there's always going to be somebody that you hate, you know. Um... But it's all about how you DM, you know? So if something, if, but if also at the same time, if I had a player say, I, you know, I'm, 
extremely uncomfortable with any type of racism whatsoever, all right, that's fine. We won't put it in. We won't even mention it. You know, or if people were like, hey, I really don't, I don't, I don't like slavery 100%. Like, I don't, I feel very uncomfortable talking about it. All right, we'll manage, you know, we'll work, we'll find a workaround. You know, my games are by far, they are not PG rated games, but the thing is, is I do my best as a DM to not make my players feel uncomfortable at the table. Um, any way possible. And that kind of goes back to just making sure that your players are having a good time. You know, make sure, rule number one, your players should be having fun. You know, rule number two, shortly past that, or part of rule number one, you also have to have fun. If you're the DM and you're not having fun, you're not, you're going to hate DMing. And then you're going to start telling shitty stories and the whole thing's going to fall apart or whatever. You know, the, the thing is, is you, you have to find that balance. You know, are you gonna are you gonna make everybody happy all the time? No. Is everybody gonna walk away from their table every single session happy? Probably not, especially if they get a character killed. Oh sorry. My phone rang. And that was the X-Men theme. But anyway, so those are some tips that I have, you know, that I found a you know, compiled a list. And I hope it helped you, and I hope it gave you a little bit of insight into DMing. Uh, we do not have a science corner this week because Rob is sleeping still. Again, this is kind of earlier in the morning that I'm doing this. Uh, words of advice, be a good DM. Don't overthink things. And do not railroad your players. Do not ju- do not just have a, hey, you are on this track now, and you go where I tell you to go, and you can you know you can choose to do actions along the way, but you cannot deviate from my story. That's not compelling. You know, if your players want to hop off the tracks for a little bit and go visit some fuck off village in the woods, let them go vi- visit some village in the woods. You know. Who cares? Make shit up on the fly. If you're worried about making stuff up, and if you don't feel like you can make anything up on the fly, or that you're not good at improv, my only advice to you on that is something that I do is, and it's not easy, especially at first, and it's going to feel uncomfortable at first, but if your player is interacting with, a say, a, a general store owner, right? Put yourself in the shoes of that general store owner. Make sure, you know, make believe that they're you. Put your, you know, hey, I'm running in this shop. This is my shop. Cool. All right. What do you, hey, how can I help you? Oh, well, we want to buy rope. Oh, yeah, right away. Uh, pff, go grab some rope. This is a 50-foot length of rope. Fucking three silver, whatever the fuck, you know. They start asking you, hey, where, you know, where are you from? Oh, I'm from the city. I live, you know, on the other side of the town, blah, blah, blah. Two-story house, you know, this, that, and the other thing. I got a wife and three kids, blah, blah, blah. Just make shit up on the fly. You know, it doesn't matter. You know? Uh, anyway, that's neither here nor there. I'm going to end the episode. We don't have life I just already gave life advice. I feel so lost without Robin Devon. Anyway, uh, you guys can follow me on Twitter, at JaxForestWalker, all one word, on Twitch at DMWebby, and on eBay at Lost... 
and never found. Uh, thank you guys for listening. And until next time, fuck Booster Gold. Burn